Okay, Bruchem Abayim, welcome everyone, thank you for coming. Um, tonight's shir, the topic is uh, organ donation. Right? Nothing to do with what you're eating tonight. <laughs> tonight's shir is being sponsored um, by one of, uh, a good friend of our shul, a good friend of mine, Ben Taira, and one of the young uh, bright stars in Kugarn Hills, Rabbi Avi Davidoff. We have uh, his father here together with us, it's an honor to have him. And his uh, brother-in-law, Mr. Alex Shoman, and we're Mavarich Rabavi and the whole family. Yamali Hashem Komashaz Libchem Latoiva, and much future Hatzlacha and success in all of his endeavors. Yeah, <laughs> Okay. Um, a few weeks ago, we discussed uh, organ donation, and we discussed. What is considered halachic death? Is it brain death? Is it the cessation of cardiac and respiratory activity? Tonight, we're going to discuss a related topic, but a topic in and of itself. And that is, is it permitted for one to risk their life to save another Jew? And in modern terms, the question would be presented in the following way. Here you have a patient, you have an individual, Layalenu. He has kidney failure, his kidneys are not functioning, and a very generous Jew is willing. He has a kidney to spare, every human being has two kidneys. A person could live and function with one kidney, as long as you know you don't go, uh, you're not a uh, professional wrestler, or you're not a hockey player, or you don't go bullfighting. But under normal circumstances, a normal human being can function with one kidney. Is it permitted? for a Jew to donate their kidney to another Jew in need. Is it permitted? Or, and the fundamental aspect of this question is, is one allowed to risk their life to save another Jew? Now in terms of preserving one's own life, and the sanctity of preserving one's own life, we come to a very well-known Gemara, Masech Dabab The Gemara tells us, Andav Samach Shnayim Shahayu Mahalchen Badarach. You have two people traveling on the road, and one of them has a bottle of water. Right? A famous Gemara. Two people are walking in the Sahara Desert and one of them has a bottle of water. But they both are not going to make it because civilization is in 20 miles and there's not enough water to go around. So what happens? If they both drink it, they're both going to die. Right? If they're both going to split the water, 10 ounces of the Poland spring water for Ruvain, 10 ounces for Shimon, they will both die. And if one of them drinks it, he will be able to reach civilization. That is the scenario, that is the situation. If the two of them split the water, they will both die. If one of them drinks the water, he will live and the other one will die. What should you do? What should you do? What should you do? On the one hand, what are you going to do? You're going to drink the water and watch your friend die? What are you going to do? You're going to split the water and you both die? Darash Ben Petura. Ben Petura is of the opinion they should both drink the water and they should both die. Mutav Sheyishtu Shneem. Better they both drink the water. Musu and they both die. How could a Jew bear to see the death of their friend? Let them both drink the water, both split the water, they'll both die. But how could one take the water for himself and watch his friend die? That was the normative halacha until 
a great individual by the name of Rabbi Akiva stood up. Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Akiva taught imach. Your brother should live with you. In other words, although it is a great mitzvah to save the life of another Jew, nevertheless it has to be with you. Which means you come first. One's own life comes first. God has entrusted every individual with this with the great sanctified mission of preserving their own life. And that takes precedence over everything. That's even more important than saving the life of your friend. And therefore says Rabbi Akiva, who should drink the water? The one who has the water. The one who has the water. Are you allowed to give the water to your friend? That's debatable. What you should do is, you should drink the water yourself. Okay. So what we're learning is, no matter how great of a mitzvah it is to save your friend, your own life comes first. But let's talk about the following scenario. We know you're not allowed to give up your life to save your friend. What about to risk your life to save your friend? You know, you're walking down the street and you see a car is about to hit your friend. You want to jump in front of the car, shove him away, save his life. But who knows? Maybe that will mean that the person, the hero, is putting his own life in peril. Is one allowed to jeopardize their own life to save the life of their friend? Is one allowed to be machnis es atzmai sakana? Can a person put his life in jeopardy to save the life of his friend? Says the Beis Yosef, right? Maran Bet Yosef writes, by the way, this is the last Beis Yosef on Chosh and Mishpat. The Beis Yosef writes, in the name of Hagois Maimonis, that the Yerushalmi holds afilu lahachnis atzmai besafik sakana chayev. The opinion of the Yushami. We know we have two sets of Gemaras. We have Talmud Yushami, we have Talmud Bavli. In most yeshivas, they learn Talmud Bavli. Talmud Bavli is studied by Jews all over the world. Talmud Yushami, the Yushami Talmud, is not focused on as much. Which Shas, which Gemara is more important? Talmud Bavli. Which Shas do we follow? Talmud Bavli. However, Talmud Yushami is also part of the corpus of the oral law. It's part of Tarshabah And says the Beis Yosef, the conclusion of Shas Yushami is that one is obligated to risk their life to save their friend. Says the Beis Yosef, what's the logic of that? Very simple, says the Beis Yosef. My friend, I could save him definitely. My own life, it's a suffix. 50-50. If I don't save him, he's going to die, and I'm going to live. If I save him, he's going to live, and I might also live. So what right do I have not to put my life in peril to save my friend? After all, aren't two lives better than one? And therefore, the Beis Yosef concludes, one is obligated to risk their life to save their friend. Right? And if we would apply this, if somebody saw a car about to hit another Jew, he would be obligated, according to Yishami, to jump in the way, shove your friend uh, aside, and potentially risk one's own life. That is the conclusion of the Yishami, which the base Yosef cites. By the way, where is this Yishami? In case, you know, I know some of you can go home tonight, you're not going to be able to sleep, you're going to be wondering, where is that Yishami? You know, you're going to be tossing and turning. So I just want to give you some peace of mind. The Yishami is at the end of the 8th parak of Masechta Trumais in the Yishami. Okay? Don't want anybody to lose any sleep. And the Yushalmi in Trumah says like this, Rebbe Imi was taken hostage. 
Rabbi Imi was taken hostage. What happened? Some Amorayim were afraid to go and save him. Imagine you have a guy, he's taken hostage, and his, you know, with two terrorists, with knives at the guy's neck, and they're about to chop him to pieces. And one Amorayim says, no, 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 I'm staying away, I'm not going to save him, because if I, what am I going to do? He's going to knock on the door. You know, Anshuldik Mir, dear terrorists, you know, my friend, the other Rav, he's, you know, being incarcerated by Yudashoyim, you know, please let him out. Well, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to say, come join us, right? And they'll sit him next to you and they'll try to chop this guy to pieces also. However, Reish Lakish is of the opinion, no. Says Reish Lakish, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to dust off, you know, my old, uh, my old grenades and my old knives and my old uh, revolvers, you know, Reish Lakish, in his previous lifetime, he was, uh, he was a bandit. So Reish Lakish said he's going to, you know, take out from under his mattress all his old weapons. He's going to go in there either to kill or to be killed. And that's the conclusion of the Yushami. That one is obligated to risk their life to save their friends. Fascinating. It's amazing. That one would think that if this is the conclusion of the Yushami and the conclusion of the Beis Yosef, one would think this is normative halacha. And nevertheless, you could look in the Shulchan Aruch. It doesn't appear. Nowhere in Shulchan Aruch does it say a person is obligated to risk their life to save their friends. It doesn't appear in the Rambam. The Rambam does not write anywhere. One is obligated to risk their life to save their friend. The Rift doesn't bring it down. The Rush doesn't bring it down. By the way, for those who are familiar with the halachic approach of Maran Bet Yosef, whenever the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, he always takes into account three of the greatest early authorities, the Rush, the Rift, and the Rambam. He takes two out of three. And when it comes to this issue, not the Rush, not the Rift, not the Rambam, not the Tor, no one brings down the Yushami. And the Sma, one of the classic commentaries on Shulchan Aruch, wonders why is that? Why did no one bring down this halacha? Why does the Shulchan Aruch not bring it down? Why does the Ramah not bring it down? And the Sma says, obviously they didn't bring it down because the Rambam, the Rif, and the Rush don't bring it down. So the question then is, why didn't any of the Rishonim bring down this Yushalmi? Says the Aruch HaShulchan, I'll tell you why. You know why none of the Rishonim brought down the Yushalmi? Because as great as an author, as authoritative as Yushami is, Shas Bavli disagrees with the Yushami. The Gemara disagrees with the Yushami, and the Gemara holds one is not obligated to place their life in peril to save their friend. Ad kan lashan ha'archashuchan. That's all the archashuchan says. The reason why no one cites the Yushami that one is obligated to risk their life to save their friend is because the Talmud Bavli disagrees. Which leaves us with our arm up in the air, wondering where in Shas Bavli, where in the entire Shas, does it say and argue on the Yushami that one is not obligated to risk their life to save their friend? By the way, the Pischei Tshuva quotes the Agudas Ezoiv, who also likely says that Shas Bavli disagrees with the Yushami. Just by the way, it's going to spend two minutes. Why do, when we have a disagreement between Shas Bavli and Shas Yushami, why do we follow Shas Bavli? After all, Yushami was the Gemara written in Eretz Yisrael. One would think, you know, Tairas Eretz Yisrael should be reign supreme. And yet we don't say that. Shas Bavli takes precedence. There are two main reasons for that. Reason number one is the Bavli was written after the Yushami. It was written a few hundred years after the Yushami. And when it comes to Halacha, we follow the later authorities. We follow the Basra. And since the Bavli was written after the Yushami, we follow the Bavli. Also, 
What? The great academies, the great yeshivas were in Babel, were in Babylonia. We're, Ravina and Ravashi, gather together all the Chachamim and all the viewpoints of all the various sages of the time, and because of the peace and the political freedom that they had at the time, they were able to gather the viewpoints of all the Amoraim and take them into account. However, the Yushalmi was um, edited primarily by Rabbi Yochanan, and it did not enjoy the same privileges that the Yamaram of the Bavli did. And therefore, whenever we have a dispute between the Bavli and the Yushalmi, we always follow the Bavli. And the question we have to begin with is, where in the world in Shas Bavli does it say that one is not obligated to risk their life to save their friend? Okay. So we have to start from the beginning. You know, we need to uh, scan through Shas. You know, okay, now, you know, not in Brachos, okay, not in Shabbos, not in Erevin, not in... Okay, oh! The very last Masechta in Shas. By the way, what's the Daf Yomi learning now? Nida. All the way at the end of Masechta Nida, right? You could learn Shas for seven and a half years and you will not get up to where it says in Shas that one is not required to risk their life to save their friend until you get up to Daf Samach Aleph Omer Aleph and Masechta Nida. Says the Gemara. Omar Rava. It's number six. Number eight. Hai Lishnabisha. This Lashon Hara. Even though you're not accepted, you have to be concerned for it. You have to worry about it. What does that mean? You get a phone call from a friend, and the friend says, Boy, do I have a shidduch for your daughter. Who? Yankel Beryl. Okay, very nice. You never heard of Yankel Beryl. You don't know anything about him. But you're being proposed a shidduch for your daughter, Yankel Beryl. A few minutes later, you get another phone call. Yankel Beryl's cousin says, By the way, I want you to know, Yankel Beryl is a murderer. He kills people as a hobby. That's what he does in his spare time. He's already up to 73. Very nice. So, you know, if you want to be a big tzaddik, you could say, I'm not Makabal the Lashon Hara. Yankel Beryl is a tzaddik Gomor, and I'm going to marry off my daughter to Yankel Beryl. That's if you want to be a tzaddik. But that's what's called a chassid shaita. You're a fool. Because the Gemara says, you're not to believe the Lashon Hara. But it doesn't mean you're not to suspect the Lashon Hara. Of course, you don't believe Yanko Beryl is a murderer. But you also don't marry off your daughter to Yanko Beryl, right? You don't accept the Lashon Hara, but you have to be concerned for it. You have to be suspicious. That's the Gemara. The Gemara continues. Hanu b'nei Galila. There were certain people from the Galil. Denofik alayu kala de nafsha. They gained the reputation to be murderers. You had three guys, Jewish mafia, they gained reputa- reputation to be murderers. So, one night, Rav Tarfan, he's learning, you know, it's one o'clock in the morning, and he's learning by the candlelight, and he opens up the door. Who's standing at the door? These three guys, right? The Bnei Galila. They said, Rav Tarfan, hide us. Put us in your cellar. Asu amrulei litmaron man. Please hide us. So Rav Tarfan said, hide you? Rav Tarfan was faced with a great dilemma. What should I do? If I'm not going to hide you, the government's going to catch you and kill you. But if I'm going to hide you, what am I supposed to do? I should hide you, but the Chachamim tell us that when it comes to Lashon Hara, you need to be suspicious of Lashon Hara. And therefore, since there's a rumor that you're murderers, I'm not allowed to save you. We'll see why. And therefore, Rav Tarfan said, you know what? Go hide yourself. So the Gemara says, Rav Tarfan did not hide these murderers because he said, I have to be suspicious of the Lashon Hara about you. 
exactly why did Rav Tarfo not save these murderers? <coughs> Taisvis quotes the opinion of the Shiltis that Rav Tarfon was saying, I can't hide you murderers because if it turns out that you guys are really murderers and the government catches that I'm giving safe haven to, the murder, to murderers, the government's going to kill me. So I'm not allowed to risk my life to save your life. I'm not allowed to put my life in peril to save your life. And it would come out then that according to the Shultis, it would be a clear proof that our Shas, our Gemara holds, one is not permitted to risk their life to save the life of their friend. That's what Rav Tarfin is saying. Rav Tarfin is saying, I can't save you because there's a rumor that you guys are murderers and if I'm going to save you, I am endangering my own life. I'm not allowed to endanger my life to save your life. And this would be an open proof that our Gemara holes were not permitted to endanger our lives to save our friends. <laughs> yeah. Ah, very good, Ruvain. So this is the proof that the Agudas Ezov advances that the fact of Tarfon did not want to hide these murderers, that indicates you're not to risk your life to save other lives. However, says the Agudas Ezov, it's not a good roof. It's not a good proof. Because like Ruvain is saying, we could learn this Gemara differently. The Gemara may not mean that the reason why Rav Tarfon didn't want to save them is because you're not allowed to endanger your life to save the life of another Jew. You know why he didn't want to save them? Because maybe you're not allowed to save a murderer. Maybe the Torah does not give a Jew permission to give safe haven to criminals. You know, you know, in general, we, like, we have the attitude, oh, he's a criminal, but we have to save him. Pidyan shvuyim. Not necessarily. Not if they're a criminal. Not if they're a murderer. In fact, the Sefer Hasidim and Rashi, Rashi on this Gemara learns, Rav Tarfon didn't want to save them, not because he was endangering his life, but because you're not allowed to save murderers. And the Sefer Hasidim proves from this Gemara that if a murderer knocks on your door because the government wants to kill him, you say, too bad on you. I'm not saving you. I'm not saving you. So therefore, this Gemara is not really, it's not such a good proof that you're not in danger your life to save another Jew. Maybe the reason why Rav Tarfon did not allow these murderers safe haven in his house because you're not allowed to protect murderers. Another reason why it's not a good proof that Tzitz Eliezer writes is because what do you want to prove? Oh, we see from this Gemara the fact that Rav Tarfon didn't want to risk his life to save the murderers. That shows you're not allowed to endanger your life to save somebody else? What's the proof? Maybe only in this case you're not in danger your life because it's their own fault that they're in this predicament. Why is their life in danger? Because these guys that didn't act properly. So maybe a person is not, uh, is not required to risk their life to save the life of someone who acted irresponsibly. But if somebody is sick, or if someone's walking on the street innocently and a car's about to hit them, maybe in such a case one would be obligated to save them. And therefore, Gemara number one is out. To be able to bring a conclusive proof from this Gemara that one is not required to endanger their life to save, not such a strong proof. First of all, maybe Rav Tarfan didn't want to save them because they were criminals. Maybe he didn't save them because they brought it upon themselves. And therefore, we're back to our search. We're in Shas. We're in the Gemara. Is there any proof, any indication that one is not required to endanger their life to save their friend?
Okay. We come to another Gemara. We've come to a Gemara in Mesechta Sanhedrin, in number 13, Daf Ayin Gemma. Oh. Okay, what's, what do you want to say? They keep us answer. They give us a, the one drinks and the other guy, the other guy doesn't. That could be a proof, no? What's that a proof to? It's a proof that one guy doesn't have to die in order to save the other guy. I have the water, you're going to die, too bad on you, my water. But over there, am I saving you by giving you half the water? You're going to die anyway. He doesn't have to give the whole water, though. But if I give you a little bit of water, you're going to die. Okay, but you're saying good. Well, we're going we're gonna to look into that in a few moments. Okay? We're going to get... Okay. The Gemara in Sanhedrin tells us the following. If a person is at the pool, right? Separate pool. And he's standing there and he sees his friend, friend drowning. And the guy says, drowning? But I just blow dried my hair. I'm not going to jump into the pool. How do we know you're required to jump into the pool to save your friend's life? How do you know? Says the Gemara, there's a Pasuk. You're not allowed to stand by idly while your friend is dying. Likewise, you see your friend being carried away by a lion. You have a gun on you. Nah, I don't want to waste the bullet. How do you know you're not allowed to do that? How do you know you're required to save your friend? There's a verse, there's a Pasuk that says, you're not allowed to stand by idly while your friend's life is on the line. Ask the Gemara, why do I need a Pasuk? There's another Pasuk in the Torah that says very clearly that you're obligated to save your friend. And which Pasuk is that? It says, You need to return to him, right? You're walking down Casino Boulevard and you see a watch on it and the watch says, you know, it says, Shemayn uh, Friedman. He sits next to me in Shul. But I always liked his watch. You know, it's not like I ripped it off his hand. I found it. He lost it. Now it's mine. Right? So you know how to say that. You have to return it to him. Why? Hashav HaSaveda. Right? Everybody knows Uncle Moishi. You have to return lost objects. Right? Says the Pasuk, Not only do you have to return his object, you need to return his life. Which means if someone's life is in danger, you need to restore his life. Ask the Gemara. We know there's no such thing as an extra Pasuk in the Chumash. Why do I need two Pesukim? One Pasuk says, don't stand by idly while your friend is dying. And one Pasuk says, don't, you have to return his life to him. Answers the Gemara, we need two Pesukim. One Pasuk to tell me you're required to save the life of your friend. And another Pasuk to say, what if, you know, you're standing by the pool and you don't know how to swim, right? You don't know how to swim. There, there are people in the world that don't know how to swim. And you're standing there and you don't know how to swim. But the lifeguard is there. And you say, hey, lifeguard, look, look what's happening. The guy's dying. Lifeguard, sorry, coffee break. So the guy, what do you mean coffee break? He's dying. I charge double. Over time, I charge double. So you look in your wallet. You know, you have a few bucks. Wow. Who says I'm obligated to pay money to save my friend? Maybe I'm obligated to jump in. But if I can't swim, who says I'm obligated to pay money to save my friend? Says the Gemara, that's why I need a second Pasuk. One Pasuk to say you're obligated to save your friend. One Pasuk to say you're obligated to pay money to save your friend. Says the Yarech says the Agudas Ezev, says the Tzitzel Yezer. Why does the Gemara say that from the second Pasuk, ah, one Pasuk teaches me you're obligated to save your friend's life, and one Pasuk teaches me you're obligated to pay money to save your, your friend's life. The Gemara should have said much better. You know why I need a second Pasuk? 
to teach me, not only you're obligated to save your friend's life, you're obligated to risk your life to save your friend's life. Why didn't the Gemara say that? Because the Gemara obviously holds you're not obligated to risk your life to save your friend's life. The fact that the Gemara only goes so far to say, money is one thing. You spend money, alright, there are people, they like their money better than their life. But the Gemara says, money is one thing. But the Gemara doesn't say you're obligated to risk your life to save your friend. It must be the Gemara holds that one is not obligated to risk their life to save their friend. And this, the Tzitzel Yezer and the Aruch Haner feel is a conclusive proof that Shas Bavli, that the Babylonian Talmud holds, we are not obligated to risk our life to save our friend. Let's look into another Gemara that Avi raised before. And that is the Gemara of the two guys in the desert, right? If one guy drinks the water, what's going to happen? He's going to li live, the other guy's going to die. What happens if they both drink the water? They both die. What's the halacha? Rabbi Kiva says what? Drink the water. You drink the water. Whoever has the water, drink the water. Who remembers? What did Ben Petura say? What was the opinion of Ben Petura? Ben Petura said, how could any individual just drink the water and let see their friend die? And therefore, what did Ben Petura paskin? Split the water. Right? Until Rabbi Kiva said, no, you drink the water. Could someone please explain to me what in the world is the opinion of Ben Petura? What was the man thinking? Well, they should both drink the water? What's the logic of that? Does that make any sense? It's insanity. Right? It's insanity. To, for you have two people, and if one drinks the water, he's going to live. Ah, but so Ben Petura says, but who's going to drink it? Right? So therefore no one should drink it. That, you know, that's, that, that's uh, cruelty. That's like... Uh, you know, that's like Chinese torture. What, wait, no one should drink the water? What does Ben Petura hold? What's the logic of that? You're right, we don't hold like Ben Petura. We hold like Rabbi Akiva. But still, Ben Petura was a Tana. What's the logic of his position? So you have to say, says the Nitziv and the Hamek Sheila, as well as the Maram Shik and the Chuvis, you know what the case has to be? The case has to be the following. If they both drink the water, they're both going to die. Why? Because civilization is 20 miles away. And if they drink the water, they'll live another hour. But Ben Petur says, another hour? Who knows what could happen? Maybe, you know, maybe a helicopter will fly overhead in the next hour and you'll SOS. Maybe you'll discover an oasis. Maybe, you know, some uh, caravan will come by selling water. Who knows what could happen? Therefore, Ben Petur says, I am obligated to risk my life to save your life. That's the explanation for Ben Petura. Ben Petura doesn't just say, you know, be insane, be crazy, let them both die. Ben Petura's logic is instead of you drinking the water and living and the other guy dies for sure, you're obligated to risk your life to save your friend's life. Comes Rabbi Akiva and says, no, you're not obligated to risk your life to save your friend's life. What should you do? Drink the water, let your friend die. Who do we paskin like? Rabbi Akiva. That means the machloikas, the issue at hand, whether you're obligated to, to um, risk your life to save your friend, is not just a theoretical issue. This is a machloikas, Ben Petura and Rabbi Akiva. Ben Petura says, yes, let them both drink it because you're obligated to risk your life to save your friend. Rabbi Akiva says, no, your life takes precedence. And since we pass him like Rabbi Akiva, that means the conclusion, says the Netziv of Shas Babli, is we do not risk our life to save our friend. The Yushalmi says, you do. But we paskin like the Bavli. That is the conclusion of the Yenitziv, the Maram Shik, and the Tzitzel Yezer. 
I just want to point out, I do not understand whatsoever any proof from this Gemara to the issue at hand. Because Ben Petura is saying, you're obligated to risk your life to save your friend. To definitely save your friend? To maybe save your friend. Comes Rabbi Kiva and says, you're not obligated to risk your life to maybe save your friend. Did Rabbi Kiva say you're not obligated to risk your life to definitely save your friend? Rabbi Kiva didn't say a word about that. So, b'mechilas, right, la'aniyas daiti, the explanation of Tzitzel requires further investigation. We have to try to understand what the Tzitzel is bringing out from this Gemara, but at first glance, you know, we don't have the time to sit here for a week and analyze this, but nevertheless, if anybody could explain how this Gemara bears any any um, information on the issue at hand. Again, Rabbi Akiva is just saying you're not obligated to risk your life to possibly save your friend. He's not saying you're not obligated to risk your life to definitely save him. Okay. But in any event, the place can tell us Shas Bavli somewhere, whether it's Nida Samach Aleph, whether it's Sanhedrin Ayin Gimel, whether it's Bab Metziah Samach Bez, somewhere, somehow, the Shas Bavli argues on the Yishami. How do we know that? The Rambam didn't bring it, the Rift didn't bring it, the Rush didn't bring it, and obviously this is not Lahalacha. Okay? So case closed. The conclusion of Bavli is, you're not obligated to risk your life to save your friend. Now let's talk about organ donations. Let's talk about the guy, Nebuch, he has, uh, what is it called, renal failure, his kidneys are not functioning pop- properly. Is one allowed to donate an organ to save the life of their friend? Okay. So you think, who's going to be the first person to discuss this, you know? It can't be somebody more than uh, 50 years ago, right? I mean, they didn't have surgery, right? They had butchery, but they didn't have surgery. Well, you know. And nevertheless, right, and nevertheless, the Radvaz, the Radvaz, Radvaz was one of the great Goinim of the 16th century. He was the Rav in Cairo for 40 years. He wrote more than 2,500 chuvas, and he had two great Talmidim. The Shita Mikubetzes, Rav Betzal Ashkenazi, and the Arizal. The Arizal was the student of the Radvaz. The Radvaz talks about the following case. You have uh, some cruel governor. He goes over to a Jew and he says, Mr. Jew, if you don't let me cut off your ear, if you don't let me cut off your nose, if you don't let me cut off your finger, your pinky, I'm going to kill your friend. Right? That's basically organ transplants to save the life of your friend, right? Do you have to give up a limb to save the life of your friend? Again, right? the guy comes with a rusty knife, plastic knife, and he says, you know, either, either let me cut off your finger or I'm going to shoot your friend. What's the halacha? The questioner said to the Radvaz, Radvaz, you know, obviously, you have to give up a limb to save your friend's life. Says the Radvaz, not so fast. Not so fast. Says Radvaz, you're required to give money to save your friend. You're not required to give the smallest limb of your body to save your friend. Torah doesn't require that. No, Hashem doesn't, doesn't ask a Jew to be so giving. That's not, that's not something God requires of a human being. You're not even required to cut off your pinky to save your friend. It's not a requirement. Forbidden or not required? You're not required. But you 
pen. We'll get to that. Okay, okay good point. So the friend step, like when you give up your kidney, you may I not notice it, you know, after you know, the kidney, my cousin. It's <laughs> internal, but a pinky, you'd always be it's aware. Anyway. Okay, good. On the other hand, if you can't go bullfighting anymore, you're going to be very aware, right? No more, <laughs> no more contact sports, you know? <laughs> um, okay. Says Radvaz, let me explain to you why Hashem doesn't expect that of you. Because the Torah says, The ways of the Torah are pleasant. God does not expect anything of a Jew that's going to make your life miserable. Right? Right? In French we say, God's not looking to bust your chops. Right? He's not looking to make your life miserable. All you have to do is, you know, wake up for a minion, you learn, you deal in your business honestly, you don't speak Russian hard, that's it. Only pleasant things. All Hashem wants you to do is pleasant things. Hashem wants your life to be happy. Right? Some, some Jews think, in order to be a good Jew, you have to be depressed. No. In order to be a good Jew, you have to be happy. Life is pleasant. Right? If life isn't pleasant, then, you know, you're not following the manual. If you're following the manual of the Torah, then, then life is pleasant. Right? Doesn't mean it's a bowl of cherries, but it's pleasant. Says the Radvaz, does it make sense that God would expect a Jew to give up a finger? To say, no, God doesn't expect that. There's certain three cardinal sins. Not to murder, not to serve idols, not to commit adultery. But in general, God does not looking to bust your chops. And therefore, it's illogical to say you're obligated to give up a limb. Furthermore, says Radvaz, you're putting your life in danger. Says Radvaz, I saw with my own eyes. A guy had an operation. The doctor cut his ear off. And the guy bled to death in front of me. So any time you involve yourself in cutting off any limb, the person's life is in jeopardy. Says Radvaz, every time you harm another person in the eyes of the Torah, it's sakanas nefashas. What's the proof? Remember the Torah says, ayin tachasayin, an eye for an eye. Or a burn for a burn, right? Which literally means if your friend takes his candle, right, if your friend someone knocks out his friend's eye literally the Torah says knock out his eye but we don't understand it to mean that why? because if you're going to knock out his eye you may kill him and that's not fair because you only knocked out his eye and he's killing you so that's not fair in other words any the, we know in the eyes of the Torah any time you inflict a wound on someone it may lead to their death how do we know this? because the Torah says a burn for a burn which means if uh, somebody goes over to their friend and puts their finger in a fire, how do we know you don't put their finger in a fire back? Says the, the, the Gemara, because maybe you're going to end up killing them. Killing them? Come on. Reuven put Shimon's finger in the fire, so why can't Shimon put Reuven's finger in a little flame? Well, he's going to kill him? Says Rabbi, yeah, you're going to kill him. Because any time you inflict even a small degree of injury on your friend, in the eyes of the Torah, it's already Sakhanas of Fashis. Although, we could differentiate between possible danger and real danger. And therefore, the Radvaz comes to the following conclusion. To give up a limb to save the life of your friend, you want to have your finger cut off to save your friend's life, are you obligated? No. Is it a mitzvah? No. It's not a mitzvah. Is it chasidus? Is it saintly? Yeah, saintly. It's not a mitzvah. It's chasidus. But what if, by you giving up your limb, you're placing your life in jeopardy? You might not make it. Says the Radvaz, not only are you not obligated, 
Not only is it not a mitzvah, not only is it not pious, you're a fool, you're a chassid shaita. You're not allowed to put your life in danger to save the life of your friend. That's what the Rav says. You're a fool. You're a fool. You're not allowed to. And therefore, according to Rav you know, putting into modern terms, if a certain procedure that a person would want to have done on himself to save the life of his friend would be what we call sakanas nefashos, would be placing their life in peril, not only are you not obligated, not only is it not a mitzvah, you're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to place your life in jeopardy to save the life of your friend. So now let's talk somewhat halach lamaisa about kidney transplants. Kidney transplants. Is it permitted somebody needs a kidney person has a spare kidney they can live a full life right people live a full life on one kidney is one allowed to donate a kidney to save the life of their friend says that Tzitz Eliezer Tzitz Eliezer of Lezer of Aldenburg was one of the great postum of this century he specialized in uh, medical ethics Shilas he was the Paisic of Shari Tzedek Hospital and he says well we need to ask the doctors is this is giving a kidney considered risking your life or not is it safe or is it not safe? That's the question. If it's safe, then are you obligated to do it? No, you're never obligated to do it. One is never obligated to give up any limb to save their friend. By the way, Rav Moshe Feinstein comes to the same conclusion. All the Paiskim conclude. One is never obligated to give any limb to save their friend. It's not a chiyuv. Is it a mitzvah? Radvaz says no. The Radvaz even says it may not even be chasidos. You want to do it? You're good-hearted? You're good-hearted. What is the halach about kidney transplants? Says the Tzitzel if you look at number 19, uh, in the paragraph Yud Gimel. By the way, says the Tzitzel there's a major difference between internal organs and external organs. To chop off an ear, a nose, a finger, to save the life of a friend, even though it can lead to death, nevertheless, in most cases... It could be controlled, they could stop the bleeding. And you want to do it, we're not going to stop you. Are we going to say you're a tzaddik? No, we're not going to say you're a tzaddik. Are we going to say you did a mitzvah? No. You're a chassid. You're a chassid. You're a chassid. But an internal organ, says the tzitzel in most cases we would have to consider that sakanas nefashis. Concludes the tzitzel like this. Look in the bottom paragraph. Ukafi Sha'amruli Haraifin. Based on what the expert doctors tell me. when I presented them with this issue. The kidneys and all the internal um, organs. Bari, even if the man is completely healthy, Removing a kidney is placing the donor's life in peril. The alkane, therefore, aimless stama. You shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. And a doctor's not allowed to carry it out. Unless you get a team of doctors who all with their expert opinion can say one hundred percent nothing will happen to the person. <laughs> Says the Tsitzeliezer, yeah, right. But he doesn't say it quite like that. Says the Tzitzel the Kulei Haiva Ulai, when's that going to happen? You're going to get three doctors to agree what, they're going to take an oath, nothing's going to happen? How could anybody know that? 
And therefore, says Tzitzliezer, removing a kidney is placing the life of the donor in jeopardy. Don't do it. Don't do it. Says the Minchas Yitzchak. The Minchas Yitzchak says, in number 21, Diane Weiss. Diane Weiss writes, in the Minchas Yitzchak Chilek Vav. All the way at the end. Uvenidon didon in our situation, bevadai ikosakana. Definite danger. Alhani tuach ba'atzmai on the donor. And not only is it dangerous now, for the rest of the, his life, there's a danger. There's a possible danger. What if, you know, he's playing hockey, he gets a little check on the wrong side, he goes into the boards, you know, who knows? Right? Again, he doesn't quite say, give that example, I'm just, you know. Okay. <laughs> Says Radayan Weiss, Plus, do you know for sure you're saving the life of the recipient? Maybe his body will reject the organ. You don't know. <laughs> Says Diane Weiss, he hasn't sufficiently analyzed. Don't do it though. Don't do it. Comes Ravadi Yosef, and Ravadi Yosef goes through the whole sugya exactly like we said. Quotes the Peschei Tshuva, the Bavli argues on the Yushami and the Radvaz. And he quotes the Tzitzeliezer and he quotes Diane Weiss that based on their medical information, based on the doctors they spoke to, you see, maybe, I, maybe you see Sfardim have better doctors. Based on the doctors that he, they spoke to, that it's dangerous, they came to the conclusion, you're not allowed to do it. However, writes Rabbi Vadi Yosef, Ulam, this is number 22, in the middle of the paragraph, Ulam be'emes, shenim salonim epiroifim mumchavir shemaim, our doctors, you know, maybe the Sfardi doctors tell us, the danger is very small. Ninety-nine percent of people who donate a kidney return back to full health. By the way, I saw recently, Josh, you gave me these papers the other two weeks. I think it was 0.03 or something like that. It's the, the materials is very, it's negligible. 0.03. 99.97. Nothing <coughs> happens to them. Right? And therefore, Ulfizeh says, says, Revadi Yosef, Dayan Weiss and Sicily, as are based on their medical information that it's dangerous, they paskin not to do it. But according to the medical information that we have today, this is not a real danger. And therefore, although, again, you're not obligated to give up a kidney, and we're not going to say you're required to give up a kidney, it's still a mitzvah to do it. And therefore, Rebavadya concludes, V'lachin nireh sheho'ikr lahalacha she'emutr v'gam mitzvah litram kleachas. Says Rebavadya, it's permitted, and it's a good deed to give up a kidney. And therefore, this mitzvah will protect the donor. So, we're just going to uh, add our two cents a little bit, just for a few minutes. You know, you look at the machlaikas here, between Tzitzeliezer and Chassitzlach versus Ravadi Yosef. What is it? Sfardim have better doctors than Ashkenazim. But by Ashkenazim, you know, the doctors, 30% of the time they're going to kill the patient, but by Sfardim, they have much better doctors. 99% of the time they're going to get it right. That's what it is. They ask different doctors. I don't think that's what it is. I think the question revolves around the different issue. What would you say? Someone who just donated their kidney and the doctor said nothing will happen to them. They're going to live a full life to 99 years old. I have a question. Let's say they donated their kidney a minute before Yom Kippur. Would they be allowed to eat on Yom Kippur? 
<coughs> of course they would. Why? They're a chayla masukan. They just donated their kidney. Sakanas and fashas. But what do you mean? In, in a week, they're going to recover. Yeah, but right now, their life is in peril. Yeah, but 100% of the time, they recover. Yeah, but, yeah, but that doesn't say that you can't uh, eat on Yom Kippur just because what's going to be and what will be doesn't mean that at a certain point of time, their life is not in peril. They are putting themselves in, right? It's Sakanas and fashas. It doesn't matter what the recovery rate is. Does the, do, do, do the statistics really bear on whether this is considered life-threatening or not? Is this a life-threatening procedure? Absolutely it's a life-threatening procedure. Is a person putting their life in danger? Yeah. But what do you mean? 100% of the time you recover. But you recover from a life-threatening situation. So perhaps what the Tzitzel Yez and Minchas Yitzhak are saying, it's not just a matter of 5% of the time people die, 1% of people, it's even 0%. Of, if a person is undergoing a procedure where they're putting their life in danger, who says you're allowed to do that? Are you allowed to do that? It's a suffix. It's a suffix. It's a suffix. Are you allowed? You're putting your life in peril to save your friend. Is one allowed to do that? So perhaps it's not just a matter of statistics. Ravad Yosef says, look, at the end of the day, everyone, they don't eat the kidney and they live to be 120 years old. Okay, so it's not a sakana. It's not life-threatening and you're not endangering your life. Maybe the other place can look at it that... The recovery rate and the statistics are, is not the critical issue over here. The critical issue is what type of situation is the person placing himself in. If the person is placing his life in peril, this is not something the Torah requires. So again, we're not saying conclusively what to do. We're just going through the issues at hand. Again, just to summarize. The Yushalmi tells us a person is obligated to risk their life to save their friend. The Bavli, we, we analyze three different Gemaras. We analyze the Gemara in Nida, perhaps that says you're not required. We analyze the Gemara in Sanhedrin. We analyze the Gemara in Bavmetziah. The conclusion of the Rishayim is one is not obligated to risk their life to save their friend. Now the question is the donation of a kidney. Where statistics have it that a person will recover? What is the halacha in such a scenario? And we, we looked into some of the views of the leading postgame. Rabbi Isai, it's been wonderful. Have a good night. <laughs>